Hello, welcome to James's pre-fight, post-fight MMA show, where we recap all the important things happening in the sport of MMA, and I, your host James, try to explain to you what's going on in the sport and make it as easy as one, two, three for you to understand. We hope you enjoy the show. Fans Assembled Podcasts, and I believe that's the name of the podcast, unless corporate decides to change the name again due to copyright reasons, but whatever, you know, we're able to, you know, whatever fan base we are, we're able to overconquer, that's what's the part about being a fan, you know, where I'm a fan of the Lizzie McGuire show, you know, I got the reboot seemingly is not going to happen. You know, my, my fandom for that for that show will still go on. And I will still pray every night that somehow that show is made. But moving on, I'm back. We're here to talk about another weekend of fights. Where we um, talk about men and women who go in there half naked. Putting their skills to the test in a cage steel octagon. Um... Just a little, I hope you guys are having a great um, winter time, a great Christmas time, great holiday season. If you don't celebrate Christmas, then I hope that, really I hope for all of you that you're surrounded by good people and that you're uh, just enjoying yourselves really. And that you got you get a chance to sit back and relax and enjoy the work you've done this year. Especially in this year of 2020 where it's been very difficult. I hope you've, um, you know, you're patting yourself on the back that you made it. This far. Well, anyways, a little update. I'm planning to, for this podcast, we're going to do a little bit of um, UFC Fight Night Vegas coming on December 19th on ESPN Plus, Thompson versus Jeff Neal. I'm extremely excited about this card. A lot of nice romantic stories behind this card. A lot of WWE-like entertainment going on here in terms of stories. And also, uh, just so you guys know, I'm planning to do a couple, since there's not a lot of fights coming on, uh, the next couple of weeks until I believe January like 18th or something like that. Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. And of course, we're going to have Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. Which, you know, I have my own thoughts. Where you guys get to finally hear me speak about Conor McGregor. You know, I, hopefully I could bring something new to that. And, um, you know, I'm going to do technical. I'm going to, of course, do a technical breakdown of that card. As soon as it starts to become more solidified um, on who's going to be fighting on that. But I'm also going to do a little bit of podcast with um, with uh, one of my guests that I had before, Anthony. We're going to talk. He's going to ask me a couple of questions. Maybe some questions that if you don't watch UFC, you're just a regular sports fan. Or you're just intrigued by this fight or interested in this fight. Or you just want to know about this fight. Or you just want to listen to our sweet, soothing voices that you just heard from my rendition of... Uh, Band-Aid, do they know it's Christmas time, shout out to 1985, then uh, come listen to that one. But Anthony's going to ask me a couple of questions. I'm just going to talk about um, the storylines going into that fight. So hopefully we could do that. And then my plan is I want to do one around New Year's. After after Christmas, I know I want to get somebody on to talk a little bit about TV shows. Because I've just been on a TV show craze 
So maybe get some another podcast like that, and I do another one on the streaming services, HBO Max, um, Disney Plus. On we talk about we explain a little bit of things about how copyrights, um, and rights to characters, rights to TV shows, rights to movies affect the streaming services, and also about a couple of other things like Warner Brothers sending their whole lineup, their twenty twenty one lineup to HBO Max, but that's something to look forward to. Something a little bit to get the appetite wet for uh podcasting your all your podcasting needs but this time this podcast we're going to talk about the upcoming fights Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Hands of Steel Jeff Neal uh just a little break just going to I'm only going to talk about three fights on the main card really but I just want to recommend I I just want to tell everybody that I recommend you Starting, I believe the card starts at seven, the main card, anyways. And however, the prelims let me see this the prelims, excuse me, my internet's also the prelims start at four o'clock. However, I believe you get there, I think if you're a casual, perhaps you should start watching at 6 30. This card is really meant for everybody, in my opinion, it has everything everybody wants. You got on the prelims, Anthony Showtime Pettis versus Alex Morono. Uh, Morono, I'm not going to get my pick for this one because uh, this is not the three fights. Uh, I just want to, you know, give you a little appetizer of what I think about these fights. Anthony Pettis, you know, of course, former UFC and WC lightweight champion. He used to be the man on the cover of the Wheaties box with the cool spiky hair. Now he's gone shaved, bald haircut. Uh, but he was known for the Showtime kick where he bounces off the cage and kicked Benson Henderson in the face. Won the WC title through that. You know, he's come up a little bit of hard times. Uh, he's alternating between wins and losses. Always a fun guy to watch. Um, very skilled on the striking. His wrestling's okay. His last couple of um, the fights where he loses, typically that's where uh, you could explore. Uh, this Typically a part of the game plan of a lot of those fighters is pressure him. And pressuring with wrestling is very common against him. Uh, so he he's he and but on the ground he's very good, very good off his back, very good jujitsu, uh, very good triangles, arm bars. So he's always constantly going for the finish, um, on the feet, on the ground. Never likes never. Uh, Anthony typically he's always trying to get an exciting fight going, fighting at welterweight. So. This will be a weight class up from where he used from 155 pounds where he won the title. And he's going to be fighting Alex Morono. Morono, you know, uh, he's been in the UFC, I believe, ever since 2016, ever since UFC 195, where he made his UFC debut against veteran Kyle Nook, where he used a lot of his Brazilian, he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but in a black belt in Taekwondo. But we never, Moreno's typically known as uh, being the scrappy fighter, like the Russian. Throw combinations. If it hits the mat, he's pretty good there. However, we've never seen him use offensive wrestling. Only except for his one fight before uh, this one. His most recent fight. So, you know, we're going to have to see if uh, he's going to bring that out again against Anthony Pettis. Anyways, not going to give a pick on this fight. Uh, but it's a great fight. I definitely recommend if you are somebody who does not care for, you know... Uh, you know, I, I know some people like this stuff, but, you know, Kamaru Usman, foot stomping, Jorge Masvidal. If you don't like that stuff, I definitely recommend showing up to this fight around 6.15 to watch Anthony Pettis versus Alex Morono. 
And then starting on the card, we have... Let me see. Let me go to the UFC website. Sometimes Google's not the best for me. It doesn't work out for me sometimes. So, starting off the card is Marcin Tybura versus Greg Hardy. Tybura, very good on the ground. Good submissions. Good knockout ability. But... You know, he hasn't been able to click it in the UFC lately. You know, he alternates between wins and losses. Good chin, though. Greg Hardy, everybody knows him, uh, you know, for his extracurricular activities outside when he was playing for the NFL. Um, but now he's a UFC fighter. Um, he only has one defeat, I believe, to Alexander Volkov last year in October. He's really matured. You know, you can say the things you want to say about him, about how he's a bad person, whatever. But he's really seemed to mature as a fighter. And he's really come into his own in terms of striking. Uh, that would be an excellent fight. Uh, excellent way to open up the main card. You know, Hardy is kind of like one of those guys who really go... Usually he goes for it. And win or lose, it's an interesting story, right? If you he loses, you kind of root uh, for the other... You know, you hope to... If you don't like him, you root for the other guy. And if you... Uh, and, you know, if he wins... Usually he wins by KO. So it happens in an exciting fashion, typically. When he went, when Greg Hardy wins, then we have Jillian Gillian Roberts, Jillian Roberts, Gillian Jillian Roberts, versus Talia Santos. Uh, Jillian Roberts has been in the UFC for quite a bit of time, I believe, like two years now. Fights out of Florida with Dean Thomas, you know, okay car, okay fight. But moving on to the more juicier type of matchups, Michelle, Michelle or Michael. I think it's Michelle Paella. Excuse me, my pronunciation, Lima. I'm just going to say Michelle versus Chaos Williams. And that is not his nickname. That is his real name, Chaos Williams. Spelled with a K, not a C. Chaos Williams. K-H-A-O-S. <coughs> Chaos Williams, I believe he's two fights into his UFC career. Michelle Paella, I believe he has like four UFC fights. Both of them very exciting. Chaos Williams loves to crash into range, throw his right hand very hard. And, you know, that's kind of been his past two fights. And then Michelle Paya Lima was known for his fundamental striking was him bouncing off the cage, throwing showtime kicks regularly in the fight. Slams, spinning kicks, all those things. And he is huge for Walter Wade. Going to be an excellent fight. Definitely something I... It's going like, to... In terms of betting, I... I wouldn't bet on this one. I probably think Michelle Paya Lima has the advantage in ground game and in uh, more striking tools. But you never know because you know, he has fights where he does a lot of crazy stuff and then he'll get tired. But it'll be interesting to see because he he seemed to have rounded out his game a little bit. Make it a little bit more about the fundamentals. But you never know. This is one of those fights where I'm just going to sit back and relax. You know, I'm probably going to be like, oh, oh, a bunch of times. During the whole fight. But it should be a very good fight. Very ex- <laughs> I can't imagine that fight going to decision. Those guys just go to war every time. And they're just super exciting and explosive fighters. So now we're going to get into the more... The fights where I like to break down. So first we have... Let's do this one first. Because we've broken... I believe we've broken him down before on this show. My one of my one of my favorites. Let's do this one first. Marlon Marais versus Rob Font. So Marlon Marais, number three ranked bantamweight, 
former UFC title challenger, coming off a loss against TKO loss to Corey Sanhagen, where he basically got spinning wheel kick to the head, and it went down. But it wasn't the greatest showing for Marlon. He basically lost both rounds that the fight was taking place in, and it got finished. He was getting a little bit tired. Sanhagen was working to the body a lot. And uh, that's what you got to know about his last fight. He's known for his kicking. He has very good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a black belt. He has good submission abilities, good guillotine. Good, And his wrestling is actually pretty underrated in my opinion. He has a very explosive shot. Meaning uh, when he gets under you, under your hips and goes to the takedown. He does it in a really fast motion. And his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very underrated. We haven't gotten to see a ton of it in the UFC. But outside of it, he's shown really good chokes, really good um, on his back. You know, pretty good at getting up from his back without the cage behind him, typically. And uh, very good uh, arm bars. He trains with, uh, he has a black belt under Ricardo Almeida, who I respect very much. Um, Ricardo Almeida, a head coach to Frankie Edgar and Eddie Alvarez. However, Marlon's now with that team. I think for the last two fights, he hasn't been with them. He's now trains in Florida. In Coconut Creek with American Top Team. So he's probably getting a lot of looks. ATT is a very good gym. Because the way I believe... It's intriguing. Because what you got to know... If you don't know that much about how MMA fighters train in their gyms. Is you get two different types of gyms. You get the really big gym. And then you get the really small gyms. So maybe like a really big gym would be like... Like American Top Team. Greg Jackson. Things like that. Really small gyms would be, not small, but like, you know, a smaller roster of fighters would be gyms like, uh, like, um, Ricardo Almeida's and Mark Henry's in, uh, Tom's River, New Jersey, uh, Law MMA with Long, Ray Longo, Chris Weidman, Matt Sarah, things like, uh, or Strong Style, where Stipe Miocic trains at. And, uh, there's like pros, and then there's like the fight, the gyms in the middle, like the TriStar gyms, where they have, um, a lot of guys, but they have a specific coach, a specific staff for that gym, things like that. Um, I I have never trained there. I always wanted to train there. I'm just going off of research and uh, an obsession of mine, I would say. But the benefits of being in like the bigger gyms, like the ATTs and the Greg Jacksons, is that you if you have a fight uh, an opponent who has a very unique style, like you, it's probably most likely you could find somebody who could reenact them, right? Uh, but the con, the cons of that gym is, and, and I'm not saying like I, I, all these gyms are amazing. They've all produced very good fighters, champions even. But some people say, and you know, uh, it's different situation as always. Some people say the cons though is that you kind of get lost in the crowd, right? Like the big gyms will focus on like the bigger fighters, like like the top notch, pound for pound, best, the champions and things like that. However, the smaller gyms will focus on you more, develop a more specific game, and perhaps the quality of um, training partners may be a little bit higher. However, it's harder to find an opponent, uh, find a sparring partner who's a certain type of fighter. And also, it's difficult. But, however, um, so that's like the pros and cons, right? It's the quality over quantity, things like that. But American Top Team, I believe... They're finding ways to get around that a little bit because they have such a big gym. And, of course, you can get lost in the muddle, right? Maybe coach doesn't know your name or you don't have that great of a connection with your coach, right? When you're getting busted up in the face and taken down and choked and stuff like that, you want to have somebody who you could trust to have your back in the corner. Uh, 
what American Top Team they do something really interesting where they have um, they have an app on like the phone I believe, and then they'll send to the fighter okay you're gonna be needed in building A bring this and that, and then they'll have a sparring partner who they got, and then the coaches will pick people from the roster to help you train, and then a coach is assigned to you, so that coach is basically always with you, so you get to develop that great coach and fighter relationship, perhaps that you would have in a smaller gym. But then you also get to have the benefits of having such a wide roster of sparring partners. Like, for example, I, I should have mentioned it when I was talking about Anthony Pettis, but Pettis does a lot of spinning strikes, very fast, interesting kick, very different kicking technique from a lot of fighters. Uh, things like that, a lot of spinning strikes, like I said before, uh, very good on the go- on his back. And when Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier, you don't know, is fighting Conor McGregor, and he beat it, Anthony Pettis. And... You know, it was a competitive fight, but definitely Poirier got, you know, he definitely dominated the rounds and when it comes to scoring points. And Poirier, I was thinking about it, and I saw a video before that fight happened, and he was training with Mark Diacchese, who's this British fighter who very good spinning strikes, jumping strikes. And I was thinking to myself, if anybody, if any gym could reenact somebody like that, it's the American top team fighters, American top team team. So Marlon is a part of that gym. And I think it's great for him because when he lost to Henry Cejudo, it wasn't a part of like, oh, he wasn't that great standing or he had a wrong game plan or something. It was just that uh, there were certain pressures that maybe the training camp couldn't bring. Or I, I know Marlon, technically, he wasn't taken down in that fight, but he did get grinded on in the last couple of minutes and it cost him the fight where he got TKO'd in the ground. So maybe he wants to find guys who are more his size, who little bit higher caliber wrestler because ATT one thing they also do great is that they have a program with Penn State uh Penn State wrestling and they'll have they do they do a program where uh people get to learn um MMA a little bit little by little and they'll send American top team coaches over there as like seminars and workshops and stuff if you want to see if you want to get into MMA eventually later on uh after college so they're constantly bringing in these great wrestlers and um, basically, a lot of the big names from American Top Team were started as training partners, like Robbie Lawler, who's not there anymore. Uh, not Robbie Lawler, like Kyron Woodley, who doesn't train at the American Top Team as much anymore. He's still a fighter, I believe, under them. But he came in as a reenacting a college, uh, you know, like a wrestler for some fighters. Uh, Kobe Covington was a big one as well. Who he, As soon as he started from college, he came in as a training partner for the wrestlers. And uh, there's a lot of great fighters coming in and out of there. So Marlon, you got to think he's going to have a wide range of people to choose from. Even though there's COVID, but still, if there's a team to still find people to reenact an opponent, it's the American top team fighter uh, team. Uh, and then Marlon's known for his great kicking game. Very explosive on the feet when it comes to closing distance and counter-striking. Uh, he's very good at... Uh, slipping the power shots of your opponent, throwing the right hand. He's very good at you step into range, intercept with the right hand. If you watch this fight with Rafael Asunza, which I think could play a part against in the in this fight against Rob Fawn, he um you know Asunza steps into range, and as soon as he steps into range before Asunza could even start his attack, Marlon Marais intercepts him for strike. And what I mean by intercepting, like you know, it's kind of, if you watch football, right, you intercept the catch, right, you. You, you catch it before they do. Or you intercept, um, you know, like a car. Like you see in like uh, Jason Bourne movies all the time. Where you intercept cargo. Where 
the car, the, the truck is going to destination A and you stop it before it gets there, right? You stop it before their, their plan is uh, ended or even or um, even in the middle of their plan. And Marlon's very good at that with his uh, boxing. Also, Marlon has very good leg kicks, very good body kicks, very good head kicks and spinning kicks as well. Uh, which should be interesting to see against Font, who's primarily a boxing style fighter. Um, and then Rob Font, number uh, 11, ranked Bantamweight. He trains out of, um, I believe they're called the Boston Cartel now, uh, with Calvin Cater. Very good fighter. Very intelligent fighters. Very good fight IQ. They know how to score rounds. Like Sometimes I hate it when fighters are down on the fight or the fight's being close. And they just say, oh, just let it go. Like, you know, we think you're winning. Those guys will go after it. Like, they'll push the pace to, till the end to make sure they get the win, which I think will be useful for him. Um, like I said, Marlon's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Font is a brown belt. However, I do believe that from what we've seen in the octagon, Marlon will have a... I think he'll have a top... If he gets on top of Font, I think he will have a grappling advantage. Um, reach is very different between the two of them. Marlon Marais has a 67-inch reach. Rob Font, 71.5-inch reach. So that should play a big part because Font likes to fight long with his boxing. Uh, but, you know, there's pros and cons to that style. And we're going to go through them through my five points. Number one is the tools of the two fighters. Like I mentioned before, Marlon has more uh, tools. When he has pretty good boxing with his right hand. Uh, very, now he seems to experiment a lot with um, shifting strikes where he'll switch his feet. He'll almost run with the strikes. Like he'll run in with punches, which there's pros and cons to it. But for someone like him, I think it's better because he's going to have a reach disadvantage if he wants to get close to Font. Also, Marlon has very good leg kicks, which hurt Henry Cejudo. He has very good head kicks, which knocked out Aljamain Sterling a couple, four years ago and Jimmy Rivera. And then also, plus, he has the spinning strikes to the body. I think the body kicks and the leg kicks will... If I was Marlon's coach, I would say let's lead with those instead of the head kicks. And then Rob Fawn, uh And also, Marlon, you got to remember, he has, in my opinion, the ground advantage, the jiu-jitsu advantage. Because Fawn, we've seen he's kind of struggled with guys who could ground him uh, multiple times. For Rob Fawn, though, he has very good body work, which I think is going to be key against Marlon. Like I mentioned before, Corey Sanhagen worked the body of Marlon Marias a lot. Uh, Henry Cejudo was able to, um, you know, when Marlon was throwing big kicks at him, not take the blunt of the kick, not take the kick full power, move away from the kick, go, uh, you know, try to make sure the kick doesn't hit you on its full blast, things like that. And Corey Sanhagen did the very similar job with the leg kicks of making Marlon miss with those. Because Marlon, it just seems like every strike he throws is like a big strike. It's not a small, like, tap strike. Like, he's not setting it up, which... I'll be interested to see if he could change that against this fight and against a very tough Rob Font, who is probably going to be there for three rounds, most likely. And uh, But Font loves to go to the body. Loves to throw hooks to the body, to the liver, which I think is going to be a key against Marlon because Corey Sanhagen did that a lot. However, when you step into those boxing range with Marlon... He has such a dynamite of a right hand. He can knock you straight out of orbit. So you got to be super, super careful if you're Rob Font. Even Corey Sanhagen, who he went into the pocket with Marlon, throwing strikes to the body, throwing knees to the body. He was still getting tagged. And, you know, as a Corey Sanhagen fan, I was 
getting a little bit um you know a little bit scared for him because they said man he's really going at him so if you're fun you got to be measured or you got to have a certain game plan to get in that pocket safely and work the body of marlon marais so you know the boxing of font and the kicks of marais also the kicks of marais specifically to the leg and the body should be interesting because font likes to how almost have like a crouching boxer stance where he keeps his head forward, which I like. I always like the like guys like Nate Diaz does it, Alexander Volkanovsky, the featherweight champion, does it sometimes. Uh, T.J. Dillashaw does it sometimes, where you lean forward to give the opponent the idea that you're closer to them than you actually are. You're kind of tricking them a little bit, and a lot of fighters will start to try to hit the head, and they'll be tricked. Their distance management will be off. Because they thought you were so close. And that's when you could pop him. Especially if you're a guy who could fight very long. Like Rob Fawn. Like a Nate Diaz. So against Marlon, I think that will be interesting. However, if you're Marlon Marias, Your first attack is going to be kicks. And when you're leaning forward. Like I want you to try to lean forward. Your weight's going to be mostly on. Like put yourself in a stance where your left foot's forward. Your right foot's back. If you lean forward. The weight is going to ever so slightly go towards your front leg. And Fawn does that a lot in his fight. So I wonder if Marlon could kick that leg. There's going to be tons of weight on that leg. Making that leg susceptible to damage. And I'm curious to see if Marlon could uh, could damage that leg. Also, Fawn, typically in most of his fights, he likes to... You know, he's kind of offering his head. Like when I talked about with Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is always constantly, usually in his fights, he's offering up his head. That's why he doesn't carry his hands up that high. Because he's expecting you, oh, it's an easy target. So try to hit my head. Font does the same thing, but I'm curious what happens if somebody goes to the body and the legs of Rob Font, like a kicker like Marlon Marias. Um, because Font, I've never seen him actually fight a guy going in the body too much. And, you know, he's had fights where guys go to the legs, but I don't think there's a better leg kicker in this division than Marlon Marias, perhaps. And it'll be interesting to see how Font changes the aspect of his game. That, that's why I say sometimes it's a little bit of advantageous if you could use it the correct way to have more tools right if i told you you're gonna fight a zombie apocalypse oh here's eight tools opposed to two which one are you gonna pick you're always gonna pick the eight right so that's something to take note of in this fight like i mentioned before the leg kicks of marlon marias and the body shots of rob Fawn. marlon marias one thing i was kind of weirded out about him uh in the past was that you know people weren't so everybody looks at him like wow he's so spectacular he's knocking guys out but when he first came in the UFC, he was mostly winning by decision. Then all of a sudden, he started winning by knockouts. And then when he fought Henry Cejudo, he got really tired from basically not taking any damage or being pressured at all. And then when he fought Corey Sant, when he fought Jose Aldo, you know, he won that fight. I scored it for him. I know a lot of people scored it for Jose Aldo. But I thought that um, Marlon, like, once again, when you pressure him, he gets kind of tired. And then Corey Sanhagen pressured him with strikes to the body and just giving him so many fakes and different looks and things like that. So I was kind of like weirded out. Like, how come all of a sudden this guy's getting tired when he fights the best? Right? So then I looked at the numbers. And actually, if you look at the numbers of his fights, he throws like in, like, it also Marlon, he, he was a former champion in the World Series of Fighting, another organization. And he used to go 25 minutes all the time. But if you look at the strikes, sometimes he'll only throw like 10 strikes around, five minutes he only throws 10 strikes. And then some rounds he'll take off. He'll kind of like, uh, he'll take off a round and then he'll wait, things like that. And then 
when you look at the Henry Cejudo fight, so say Marlon throws five strikes per round in a five-round fight, right? So five times five is 25. But let's increase that by more. Say like some rounds, he throws 10. So let's say 10 strikes per round in a five-round fight. Let's do that instead. That's 50 strikes. In his Cejudo fight and the Sanhagen fights, if you look at the numbers of his first round, second round, he throws like 15 per round, 20 per round. Those fighters were pushing him to throw more than he actually needed. Than he he would want. Like Henry, I think he was just going too gun happy. Like he saw that every time he hit Henry, Henry would get hurt. So he just kept going over and over again. And then Henry Cejudo ended up staying there the entire time. Sanhagen, I thought, was just making him miss, making him confused. Getting him to uh, doubt himself a little bit. Pulling the trigger on the shots. Getting him to hesitate, eventually working the body, and then leading to the big TKO win for Corey Sanhagen. So that's why I think fighters who just get him to do a lot will beat him. And I'll be intrigued by Font because Font has very good fakes and feints, but he doesn't have much of like a long game when it comes to kicking ability and wrestling. Like Font's not a wrestler. You would think that for to beat a Marlon Marais, you kind of have to have some sort of a, like a, a safe way of making him tired. So a safe way meaning like you start taking him down. Like there's no way of knock, him knocking you out in the wrestling exchanges. Or working the body with kicks. Or to the head or the legs with kicks. Right? It's safer because you're at farther distance. I know he has a great kicking ability. But it's a little bit easier to see the kicks coming. When you start to go in the boxing range. Up tight in the pocket. It gets very scary because... You get it's harder to see, right? You're closer to him. And with Fawn, I'm gonna be intrigued if he can stay safe in this fight. And of course, range, if Marlon could dictate the range and just be super far away from Fawn using the leg kicks, the calf kick specifically he does very well with, which we go we went over before in this podcast. Um, and the leg kicks and the body kicks and the head kicks. And just pick at him, let Fawn respect the strikes, then I think uh Marlon could that that could be an easy win, easy easy win for him then. However, the bad thing is that the unfortunate thing for Marlon is Rob Font never gives up. There's fights where he's being taken down, where he's getting hurt, all these different things, and then he'll come back, he'll keep going for the win. These Boston guys, they just got something else inside of them. So it's a tough call to be honest with you. Um let me check out the betting odds actually. Who is the favorite? So, on most lines, Marlon Marais is the favorite. Minus, uh, like minus 150 typically. And then Rob Fawn is a plus 130. I think my pick, who I think is going to win, is Marlon Marais. I feel like Fawn is an excellent fighter who could definitely win this fight. But I just feel like there's too many ways for him to lose this fight. And then I plus, I didn't even talk about what if Funk gets taken down easily, right? What if he gets taken down and controlled on the ground, things like that. But uh, if, I, if I was a betting man, Rob Font via finish is not bad. Because the Henry, I know he was, oh, it's three-round fight. Marlon, his last couple, like two out of three fights have been five-rounders. Those are the fights where he got finished and lost. However, those fights were all in within two rounds. So... I feel like Rob Font could get the finish. I would bet on just Rob Font in general, plus 130. Um, but via KO or TKO, I think, is a great bet, bet as well. 
So moving on to the co-main event, uh, which I feel like maybe the closest fight on the card, Jose Aldo, the former WC, former UFC champion, uh, fighting out of um, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, fighting out of Nova Unia, who he's been with like forever, most of his career, 5'6", 34 years old, with a 70-inch reach. Um, as I said before, former 145-pound champion. This will be his third fight at Bantamweight. Uh, his first fight at Bantamweight was against Marlon Marais, where he lost very close decision. I thought Marlon won, but it, it was extremely close. Could have gone either way. And um, and then uh, he lost via KO or TKO against Petr Jan, which he actually didn't look that bad. He did a lot of good stuff, worked the body of Jan, uh, tried to mix in his grappling, didn't work out so much. Uh, hit him with some good straight punches, things like that. Uh, but it started to fade in the later rounds. And versus Marlon Vera, who we've, breaking, we've broken down before when he fought Sugar Sean O'Malley. Trains out Timo Yama. I believe he's from Ecuador. 28 years old. With a 70.5 inch reach. Black belt on Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, very well-rounded fighter. Both of these guys are very well-rounded. It's just Marlon I th- uh, Chito is... Marlon Chito Vera is the more willing fighter to mix it up. With his striking, his kicks, and his punches. Jose Aldo, even though he was like a great grappler even before going to the UFC, it just seems like he's very devout on just striking with everyone. And one cool thing I said about the Jan fight is that he brought back the famous leg kick. And if you were there listening to the Fight Island podcast of UFC 251, Jose Aldo kept saying, oh, it would be great if he throws a leg kick. Like, so many opponents like that works against. But he didn't do, like, if he threw the leg kick against Max, that would have been interesting. Bokonowski would have been very interesting. Any of these guys, it would have been intriguing for Jose Aldo to throw the leg kick. However, I believe he doesn't do it because, one, he's had a couple foot injuries, leg injuries. And also, I think it just gets him tired exploding like that. And you saw that in the Jan fight where Jose Aldo was having a great amount of success, in my opinion. And uh, and he looked very good. I think, in my opinion, the last uh, two fights, three fights, yeah, three fights... It's been a very good Jose Aldo performance, where he was working the body of the former Bantam of the current Bantamweight champion, and so as I said before, this is his third fight at Bantamweight. Aldo surprisingly looks very good on the scales and looks very good on fight night. Uh, he was a very big one hundred and forty five pounder. Now you're adding ten more pounds to cut. He was always a guy who I thought if he ever lost the featherweight belt or he ever wanted to move up, I always thought he could have a very good fight against Habib. Because, uh, you know, Jose wouldn't be cutting out such weight. Habib cuts weight. Aldo is one of the best strikers, in my opinion, in MMA. And then he has... Aldo has, like, legendary takedown defense. Like, legendary. Like, even if you get him in the air, he can still defend the takedown. So that's the basics of Jose Aldo. For Chito Vera, very good kicks to the head, to the body, to the legs. Mostly his leg kicks and his head kicks are very good. Um, we saw that displayed against Sugar Sean O'Malley with um, him kicking the leg, kind of making Sean O'Malley's foot go all weird. A very good ground game, very good submissions in particular, and very good finishing ability. When he sees that you're hurt or tired, he will just go at you like crazy. One time I remember he was fighting uh, Andrew Ewell, and Chito ended up hurting him to the body. And then you see him start digging to the body like three or four times. And then you see the Andrew Ewell start to bend down. He's trying to protect his body and his head. And then Chito grabs up a tie clinch where he, you know, you put your two palms over each other. And he just started kneeing his head. And then he got the finish. 
And in some fights, you know, he'll, um, he'll do, he has a great submission game where he doesn't exactly have to take you down. He'll just grab onto your neck, drag you to the floor, and get the submission, which I think is going to be difficult against Aldo. Because Aldo's defensive grappling is just so good. And it's all fundamentals, really. For me, for Cheeto to win this, it's another fight where it has to do with a lot of range and endurance. I do believe Cheeto, he has like a cast iron chin, that dude. And Aldo hits very hard. And you got a question, oh, Aldo, it's been a while since he had a knockout. Like, ever since 2019, like the beginning of like a... Like, it's been, like, a little bit of time, I think, since he's had, like, a straight-up, like, he knocks the guy out of orbit. But I do think Aldo's still a threat on the feet. And the leg kicks of Jose Aldo actually could play a big part against Chito Vera because Chito likes to stand very bladed. I mean, he, he likes to almost stand like he's not going to surfboard a little bit. And that could mean some bad business if Jose Aldo gets those leg kicks going. And then Aldo, plus, has a very good jab and... Cheeto, one thing I always said that I kind of didn't like is how he doesn't move his head a lot. I know he's been training a lot of his boxing with Jason Perillo. However, you got Jose's like one of the best like fighters with his hands, like boxing wise in MMA. So you gotta be curious against that. But Jose Aldo, I think if you could get him to explode or you could get him to fight back hard the first two rounds, the third round, you're not gonna get like a lot of fighters, like they're both hurt, but you can see there's a clear opening for one guy. And then that guy won't take it because he's just hurt and tired. There's more worried about that. Cheeto's not that guy. He will just constantly go at you no matter what. Wherever it takes. His clinch striking is amazing. Which I think could play a part against Jose. Because Jose has shown that you could press him against the fence quite often. With his, and then Cheeto has very good elbows and knees. But I feel like um, similar to this fight, right? Of course, you got to worry about the endurance of Jose Aldo. Where Aldo, I thought, was... Doing very well against Peter Jan, the current Bantamweight champion, until he started to get tired. And Jan was just putting too much stuff in front of him. And then Aldo, especially, I was like... um, But then I think if Cheeto stands at range of Aldo, I feel like Aldo just has more threatening tools. Because Cheeto, even though he's very good with his kicks and his punches and distance fighting, Aldo has a main, very good defense. He's always had excellent defense. And for me, Cheeto's going to have to pressure... Smart, like with the clinch in the boxing range, perhaps specifically in the clinch, try to make all the work very, very hard. And Cheeto, he's a very tall, rangy guy. Um, let me look up his height actually. Let me see. Surprisingly, I did not write it down. Cheeto Marlon Cheeto Vera, uh, he's only one inch taller, but that's pretty tall for a band with five eight. So I was, so a lot of it has to do with range and endurance. And Cheeto's going to have to operate at the correct range, in my opinion. He's either going to have to be all the way out, throwing head kicks and body kicks at Aldo. Which I don't think is going to hurt Aldo, but I think it's going to make Aldo tired. Give Aldo a look. And he always got to fight in the clinch. So for me, I feel like it's interesting because Aldo, you got to think like, he, this guy's been making weight very well. At Bantamweight, he actually doesn't look that bad. Like, he's been doing pretty good with his opponents. Like, he's not getting killed. Like, I think he, he surpassed my expectations when he fought the former champ. I mean, the current Bantamweight champion, Petr Jan. So, I think that, um... Uh, so, the odds are... Oh, crap. What? I wasn't expecting that. Jose Aldo's a favorite. 
Interesting. Wait, let me check the UFC odds. What the F? I thought for sure all those going to be underdog. Yeah, he's an under. He's a favorite. Hmm. I mean, Chito, I feel like he could give anybody in the Spantamweight division a hard time. But I think Aldo's going to win this. I think... I don't see Cheeto being able to make Aldo work as much as people would think. And I think Cheeto is also a notorious slow starter the first round. So I think Aldo could kind of compromise him the first round. Hurt him with some punches or some leg kicks or whatever. And I think Aldo cruises to a decision, possibly. Yeah, I really do think so. Yeah, I think Jose and Aldo via decision. I will... Cheeto's a good bet, but I don't think... I think, personally, the uh, the last fight's a better bet uh, for Rob Font to TKO or fin- or beat Marlon Marais. But if you're a hungry man for money, then uh, Cheeto Vera's, of course, he's a great pick. If anybody's going to stop Aldo in this Bantamweight division... And Cheeto, I believe, could give anyone a hard time. Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Marais, all those guys. That's my pick. Jose Aldo via decision. So moving on to the main event of the evening. Steven Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Neal. An excellent fight. A lot of drama went into making this. Not with these two. But specifically the main event of this fight was supposed to be Hamza Chimaev. Who's, we talked about, this surging fighter who, who's beaten. Like, just basically decapitated his last three opponents via KO, via submission. But, you know, hasn't had the greatest... Uh, you know, his opponents haven't... None of them have won a UFC fight, really. And he is fighting Leon Edwards, who is the number three ranked welterweight. And a lot of people said, oh, it's unfair of Leon to be fighting a guy who's unranked. This guy who, who's unproven. And then the UFC took Leon off of the rankings. And Leon said, yes, they're fighting Shemayev. That was made the main event. However, Leon Edwards tested positive for COVID-19. So now, the co-main event of that card, which is now the main event... Steven Thompson versus Jeff Neal is now a five-round fight. Matchmaking-wise, I think this is a great fight because Neal, not the biggest name. If you had to ask me who's the biggest names at Walter Wade, I'll tell you, um, you know, Kamar Usman, Jorge Masvidal, uh, Kobe Covington, Steven Thompson, uh, Leon Edwards, Tyron Woodley, those type of names. Uh, but Neil, for a lot of people, he's the dark horse of the division. And I definitely do see that. He's an excellent fighter. Uh He's shown everything you kind of want to see so far in his UFC career. Let me check uh, how many fights Jeff Neal's actually had in the UFC. But he came off of, the, I believe, a finish on the Contender Series, which is basically a show where Dana White has a card of fighters fighting each other, and whoever has the standout performances end up getting the contract. So, um, what's it called? Uh, so, Neal basically was a winner of one of the contracts. He... Let me see. How many fights he has in the UFC? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six fights. Oh, I actually seen him live too. January 19th. Wow. So six fights in the UFC. Um, let me see. Wow, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. Five of them, five of the six were all via, were via finish. Four of the five finishes were by KO or TKO. One of them was via submission, rear naked choke. And uh, so basically, and then Thompson was trying to get a fight with Leon Edwards, who was going to be the main event, against a fight against two top five fighters. But then he ended up uh, getting Jeff Neal. 
And Neil, I think this is the spot everybody's been waiting for, right? They've been waiting to see him fight a really, really top-notch fighter. Um, it's let's break it down first before I get into the juicy parts. Let's, let's uh, break it down each of the fighters. So Stephen Thompson is the number five ranked welterweight, six foot, six feet tall. Trains out pitch black MMA with his uh, father, um, Ray Thompson. Who do they? What do they call him? Uh, he calls him Pa. He's, you know, he's from south. He's from uh, down south, you know, and uh, so he, he's been his head coach for a very long time. Basically, Wonder Boy has gotten his most of his abilities from his father. Um, black belt in karate, of course. If you watch his fights, it's very obvious. Brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Former two-time UFC title challenger. Coming off of a unanimous decision win over Vicente Luque, which was over a year ago when he fought in Madison Square Garden. Jeff Neal, 5'9". Trains out Fortis MMA in Texas with uh, people like Uriah Hall. Blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, he has 15 total wins. 13 have come by KO or TKO. Excellent, excellent fighter. Uh, both guys. So thing is, I just want to break down their styles, really. Uh, Wonderboy likes to fight in a very sideways stance. And he likes to switch stance. So he'll fight righty or lefty. And he loves fighting against with his kicks. He likes throwing the head kick and the body kicks. Round kicks to the body, head kicks. Round kicks to the head. Front kicks to the head. Round head, um, front kicks to the body. Side kick to the face. Which really throws fighters off. And then side kicks to the body. And he loves... Dis- he likes fight... He loves- He's one of the best, I would say, top three fighters at distance management. Where he knows how far he is. He knows where's the... What he call? Why I like to say the danger zone. He knows how dangerous, how uh, what's the distance where you could hit him without him seeing. He understands it, and he's very good at just like uh, other fighters I mentioned before, intercepting with his right hand. Where the guy will crash forward and he'll move back and then bang a perfect right hand counter. And when he's on the offensive, he's very good at blitzing, meaning like kind of like what I said about some other fighters like Izzy, Israel Asanya, Dama Cruz, T.J. Dillashaw. They like to blitz where they'll switch their feet and then he'll get out of the pocket going left to right. So some fighters you'll see, they'll go fighters, which I think is interesting. Like coaches, you'll hear them go, go in and out, in and out, in and out. Well, you'll go into the pocket and then step back out of the pocket. But the thing is just that if the guy could have a good chin, be durable, or he takes the shot and encounters you, if you move back, it's very easy to hit you. But if you go to the side, right, no one trains really... Not a lot of people train to hit sideways, really. Like, oh, I'm going to hit the person to my left, the person to my right. So Thompson's very good at that. Very good at moving out of the way, left and right. Also very good at just lateral movement in general. And I think that's going to be very useful against Jeff Neal. And to help him maintain that distance and his righty, his lefty stance with his right leg forward, he likes to throw a lot of side kicks to the body, side kicks to the face, hook kicks to the head. All of them look the same, basically. And also, he's very good at, when he gets, when he has you against the cage, very good sh- spitting techniques. And uh, Jeff Neal, so that would be very useful because Neal, uh, the stand switching, the kicks will, be a play, will have to play a big part for Steven Thompson to win this fight. For Jeff Neal, he's, uh, most, like, he's most of the time a lefty. He likes, uh, and he's very athletic. You know, he played, he got a college scholarship in football in Texas, right? And we all know, if you watch Friday Night Lights, football's very big in Texas. So, you know, he's very ath- extremely athletic. 
Um, very good. Uh, he's learned very quickly in my eyes. You know, he, he hasn't been in MMA that long. Very good straight left punch, which can knock you out. And very good left high kick, which can also knock you out. And he's pretty strong when it comes to in the clinch. But he doesn't really go to it. Like, he's not going in with a game plan to use the clinch. Most of the time, he kind of like... Uh, he, if the guy clinches him, he'll fight back. And that's what I mean. He won't initiate a grappling situation. But, uh, so, and plus, a plus for me is he used to work at Texas Roadhouse. And I think ever since COVID, when he couldn't get enough money together to do a training camp, he continued working there. But that's a very good establishment, Texas Roadhouse. I really like their, um, the ribeye is very good. And, and, you know, the appetizer are good too. So Jeff Neal used to work there as well. So that's a plus for him. So, and also, like, both of these guys, COVID had affected them. Wonder Boy, I know that he didn't want to fight because, you know, he didn't want to get anybody sick. You know, he knows a lot of elderly people, you know, things like that. And Jeff Neal, I heard that he had like, um, uh, like he had like, he almost died or something. Like he went to the hospital, things like that. And this was in August, so it wasn't that long ago. And, you know, before that, he was being a waiter at Texas Roadhouse and all this stuff. So, you know, this guy is... A true, like, he's really trying to fight through it all. He's a true warrior. <clears throat> See, that's the two guys' situations. That's why both of them haven't fought in so long. Jeff Neal, his last fight, TKO win over Mike Perry in December on UFC 245. Steven Thompson, his last fight was a unanimous decision win over Vicente Luque in UFC 244. So, like I said, Neal, very big, um, he uses his left side very well, left high kick, left straight to the face. And um, for me, I think the tools is going to be a big part of it. Thompson, I think, is going to have to keep his distance very well. Get Neil frustrated. Get Neil the idea like, man, I'm never going to be able to touch Thompson to the head if I never take a chance. And Wonderboy, he does so great. And when guys are crashing forward, he hits them with a huge shot. Usually a punch, an intercepting punch. His straight right's excellent. He's a very good jab, but this is a lefty situation, so I don't know if he's going to use it. And one thing I, I'm really curious about in this fight, which I kind of thought just kind of dictated my um, my uh, my pick a little bit. So, of course, you got to talk about that Neil is, I believe he's 30 years old, and then Stephen Thompson is 37 years old. So Wonderboy is definitely older than him. And he has more experience, like he's fought like Jorge Masvidal, beat him, fought Tyrone Woodley, beat Roy McDonald, beat former champion Johnny Hendricks. Beated uh, top, former top five fighter Jake Ellenberger. All these things. So the age comes with experience. And the question has always been with Wonderboy. Did those Willie fights he take too much damage? However, he fought... His last fight was against Vicente Luque. Who I believe is one of the, the most underrated fighters in the UFC period. Not that the weight class. The UFC roster. And Luque clipped him a couple times. And Wonderboy was still there. You know, he wasn't... You know, he was able to recover or, you know, I didn't think he was hurt. But, you know, whatever happened, he was able to recover from. And I think that fight proved that Thompson's still there. And he didn't take a ton of damage in that fight. He still looked like vintage Wonder Boy. So that's one thing. That's a lot big talking point is the age of Wonder Boy. But for me, it's also the stance. I feel like nobody's talking about this. But Jeff Neal, if you look at his last couple of opponents, Brian Camozzi, Frank Camacho, Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, and Mike Perry, all, I would say all of them, besides Brian Camozzi, 
are all very good. But they're mostly brawlers. They, a lot of times they fight off a of toughness. So they'll kind of like just crash forward and try to fight. Especially the last three opponents. Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, and Mike Perry. So, and I said for Jeff Neal, who is a more explosive, a more athletic guy. The more technical fighter between all those guys. I think that works better to him. But now you're going to have to fight a longer fight. Where the guy is not coming to you. Wonderboy is not going to give you too many opportunities to knock him down, hurt him, whatever. And when you try to hurt him, he that is the time where Thompson shines the best when you try to come at him. And then plus you got to factor in, you know, Neil's never like fought that many like five round fights. This is definitely the highest fighter he's ever fought. Like Perry and Price and Muhammad and Camacho and Camosi are all fighters who were barely ranked at welterweight. Now he's fighting the number five guy in the world. So that's a part of experience that has to play into it. Also, one thing I, that I want to mention with those those names I all said about the UFC fighters is that every single one of those guys are orthodox fighters, meaning they're all righty. They stand with their left foot forward. And in a Southpaw versus orthodox fighter, as we, I don't know, if, let me explain, but if you watch the Rocky movie, you know, with Sylvester Stallone, hey, Adrian, um, the advantage about being a lefty is that there's more of the times there's more righty people than lefties. So when you train for a fight, lefties have certain advantage where you can get the right your right foot outside of the the righty's um, left foot, and then you line up very well for the straight left for the left high kick things like that. And Neil, I believe, in my opinion, is a master at that, and he does it very well lining up that straight left against right-handed fighters. But the thing is, is that I believe Thompson is gonna have a speed advantage. I feel like when Neil closes that distance and he's ready to hit him with the left hand, I feel like Thompson could intercept him with his right hand. Also, I feel like Wonder Boy is just as good at with that time. We call that the Southpaw versus Orthodox battle. When two guys are trying to get the um, outside leg advantage for their striking. But I also feel like Wonder Boy, his stance switching could really help this fight. One, when he switches to his lefty stance, where his right foot's forward, his kicking ability just seems to be more, more he has more dexterity in his legs that way. Also, he, um, that, uh, the, when you have a lefty versus lefty fight, right versus right fight, it, the fight becomes more about combinations. Who's the guy who can mix it up with both of their hands, who can mix up the setups, things like that. When you have the lefty versus righty fight, it starts to kind of become like who could throw the hand faster, who could throw the kick faster, who could get the foot faster on that position, things like that. But I think Thompson, he just he fights as well from the lefty stance and the righty stance. So I think that um, I think with and then plus Neil, right? He's a guy who likes to crash forward a lot of his fights. He likes to, you know, besides the Mike Perry fight, Neil loves crashing in with his left hand and his left high kick. So with Thompson, I think that's great. Oh, yeah, crash into me. Because he has such an excellent sidekick, Thompson. And sidekicks in martial art world, you'll see like Bruce Lee uses a lot to like knock Asian dudes on the boxes, onto boxes in Italy and things like that. But I feel like Thompson, he loves using that right sidekick. And against Neil, that's going to become very useful. Also, he can mix it to the head into the body. And for me, that, that was the big factor in this was the stances because I haven't seen Neil uh his striking is not diverse enough for me to be like oh he could definitely fight another lefty or he could definitely fight another guy who switches stance and against Thompson really the only way to safely beat him is you got to use your grappling 
But one, Stephen Thompson trains with Chris Wyman on the regular, who's a middleweight trained, uh, you know, is an all-American wrestler, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And Jeff Neal is not known for going for takedowns. And Jeff Neal is not a wrestler. Even though he's a very strong guy, he doesn't have those abilities. So for Stephen Thompson, I feel like for win this fight, he's got to dictate the range, make Neal pay for whenever he comes in, and just give Jeff Neal different looks, really. Give him different looks. Switch stance. Whenever he feels like Neil's coming into a very close distance, switch stance. Give him different looks every time. And um, I feel like Thompson, it's hard because Neil, we've only seen him get rock once. And that was against Nico, the hybrid price. But I feel like Thompson could get him out of there. Just the way they line up. It's a pure striker versus striker fight. Thompson's going to have the height advantage over him. He's not going to have the reach. I believe they have the same reach advantage. But I feel like... Um, this is a big experience gap. And it's a big tool gap. Like, just in terms of martial arts, who could do more? Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to make an official pick because uh, I have some bias in this fight. And I'll share that probably in the next podcast. I have some bias into this one. But I do favor Steven Thompson to win this fight. And the betting odds have been very strange for this one. Because Thompson started out as a um, like a minus 160 favorite. And now he's shifted to like plus 100 and some lines plus 103. So I feel like if you could get one of those lines, he's plus money. Then yeah, bang that buck. Because um, Thompson's the more proven commodity. I think he also just not... just if They fought like in the same edge of the time as the career. I feel like Thompson just has the more tools. And I feel like he has the better, he's the better fighter. And if it hits the mat, I feel like Thompson's even the better grappler too. So um yeah, there you go. That's my uh that's my analysis for this card. So thank you guys for listening. We're gonna do a follow up of this most likely next week or sometime in the near future. Be sure to watch out for my podcast with Anthony I'm gonna do soon where we talk about um you know comic book stuff, about the new Marvel announcements coming up with Disney Plus and I'm going to have another podcast about streaming services and about TV shows like Community, The Office, Parks and Rec. We're going to have a great debate. People will yell. People will cry. Lots of controversy. Everything people like. And uh, thank you guys for listening. If I don't hear uh, back from you guys after, uh, if you don't hear from me before the holidays, I wish you a happy holiday. And I hope you're surrounded by people who love you and hope you just have a good time. Have a have a nosh, you know. That's why I always say to my uh, my cousins, my young cousins, have a nosh when you party. Thank you guys for listening and good night. Or good morning, whatever, wherever you are. See you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you were listening to, please subscribe to Fans Assemble, and if you can, please give us a rating. Do it for the audio world. They need you.